This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Brilliant. It's great to be here. Thank you for uh, having us. It really is a joy to, to be here. Um, it's been a little while since I've been here, um, some 18 months or so, so I thought best thing to do is probably sort of catch you up with kind of what's been going on in our world uh, since the last time uh, I've been here. Uh, probably the most significant thing from my own perspective is I've got older. Um, I, feel, I feel a bit older. Um, last year, uh, summer 2018, both of our sons got married uh, they thought that would be a good idea to do that within seven weeks of each other. Um, and uh, that was kind of fun. Um, and uh, this January, Hazel and I will become grandparents for the first time, uh, which we're super excited about, um, uh, a granddaughter. So I'm, I'm particularly excited about that because we've just had boys and boys and boys everywhere. So I'm very excited to have uh, a granddaughter coming. I've got my T-shirt ready. It says, Gramps, the man, the legend. The bad influence. So uh, uh, I'm all ready to go. I've got my, my job description all sorted. Uh, what else has happened? I guess uh, we, we closed King's Church and then we relaunched Lifespring, which is obviously quite a significant move for us. Uh, we've officially joined Christ Central. Um, so you are no longer a northern sphere. Um, although we still feel like we're coming well north when we uh, travel up. We need four-wheel drives just to deal with the, the water and the mud and the, the lack of paved roads, it seems. So, so uh, we're still very much uh, feeling southern, but part of Christ Central, which is great. So we're able to take the whole church uh, you know, with us to uh, devoted this year rather than just a team of us coming to serve. Uh, it was great just to be there and be part of it, and it felt very, very different this year for us because we were, we were part of the family, not just invited friends. So, so that was really special. Uh, we also raised, um, as a church, just over £150,000 to build a school in Zambia, which we opened this year, which was uh, great fun, because not all of the money came from the church. We were able to raise quite a lot of that money from unbelievers, which is brilliant, just helping them out, advance the kingdom, although they didn't really know that. They thought it was some really good tax breaks, um, <laughs> but which it was. Um, so it was a win-win, but that's been uh, really exciting. And um, I wanted to kind of tell you some fun stories of things uh, that have been happening with us. Um, this year, I went, as I've just said, to Zambia to... Um, as I always do, I go every year, and we've been connected very much with Joseph and Lillian Mawila um, out there. And um, I always go with my, my best friend, Nick, Nick Tasquier, and uh, we, we travel a lot together. We do lots of different things when we're there. But one of the things that we were due to do while we were there was to open the school, which was on national TV, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but before we went, Nick and I were in two separate meetings, two separate contexts, uh, and both prayed for us as we were going to Zambia, and both of us received a prophetic word from different people in separate contexts, but exactly the same prophetic word. Um, and the prophetic word was that on this trip, we would see eyes healed and ears opened. Um, so let me just show you. Have we got a video? Did I, I did we, excellent somewhere. I don't know who I'm looking at. There's no desk or anything. Brilliant, someone over there. If we could run that video, that would be really helpful. Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> I didn't expect to come to a men's conference and have my eyes healed. That was the last thing I expected this morning.
You can, I guess, look at that in the light of that prophetic word uh, or prophetic words that Nick and I received. And you can, you can look at that and just think, wow, you know, how courageous. You can look at it and think, wow, you guys must be just so full of faith. It's amazing to see those kind of stories. And uh, you, you must need such faith to be able to go after things like that and be able to show video testimonies like that. Um, and uh, that's what I really want to share with you this morning. I want to talk about faith, but I want to talk about it in a way that you may not expect. And uh, as we've already learned this morning, Father really wants to change our perspective uh, on some things. And that's really what I want to talk about. You know, I want to talk about faith because to be the church that God has called you to be, you're going to need faith. 
Now, I don't know exactly what the promises of God are over you as a church, but because I know Father, I know that they're going to be expansive. I know that they're going to be massive. I know that those promises are going to be more than you're going to be able to achieve on your own because that's the kind of Father that we have. We can't do it without him. And so we're going to need faith if we're going to step into the promises of God. And um, as you've already heard that story, those prophetic words, see that, that testimony video, you can see evidence of faith. I trust, you know, as you look at that. But let me ask you the question, was it faith at the time? You can look at that and think, there's faith. But was it faith at the time? As you look back at my story from the summer, from this point in time, and you're looking at the evidence and you look back, it suggests faith. But was it faith at the time? And there's an aspect of faith that I've learned over this last few years, which I have to tell you, to be honest, has been the most difficult few years of my life. But I've learned... Uh, uh, an aspect of faith which is not one that we speak of often and it's obedient faith. Not the faith where you feel you're super ready to take a risk, not that gift of faith where you know beyond doubt God's going to move and do something, but the kind of faith that you only recognise as faith when you look back at it. And when we think of faith, certainly me, I'm a visionary, I love kind of thinking about what God's going to do. When we think of faith, we always think of that Hebrews 11 verse 1. That's the kind of faith. Whenever faith, that's what you think of. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So when we talk of faith, that's what we think of, this kind of bold faith. We're absolutely certain. It's an assurance. There's a conviction. That's what we think of. Um, and that's how we describe it. But actually, sometimes it doesn't really work quite like that. Now, if you read on in Hebrews, past Hebrews verse 1, you'll end up eventually at Hebrews verse 32 of Hebrews 11. talks about Gideon. And it talks about Gideon being a hero of faith. However, when I read the story of Gideon in Judges 6 and 7, I cannot find any evidence of faith whatsoever. What I see is a story of doubt, of uncertainty and of weakness. I can't see a hint of faith that would meet our definition of Hebrews 11 verse 1. Gideon is described... Some 1,100 years after the, uh, the event, as a hero of faith. And that's really what I want to look at as we uh, move on through this morning. So if you can turn with your Bibles, if you have them, to uh, Judges 6 and 7. I'm going to be kind of dipping in and out and paraphrasing as I go. Um, but it'd be good just for us to follow the theme and the story that outlined in Judges 6 and 7. So we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of their land and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox, or donkey. Jumping to verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent them a prophet. Woo! That's what you need. When you're crying out to God, he sent them a prophet. Now, the prophet told them that God was pretty disappointed with them. That's just the kind of prophet you want, isn't it? You know, he said, I'm disappointed with, with you in terms of what they'd, they'd been doing. They'd not obeyed the things that he'd asked them to do. And it wasn't the most encouraging word in and of itself. But actually, the reality was, was that there was encouragement there. They had been crying out to God. And the fact that this prophet then speaks God's word tells them that God has heard them. They've not just been crying out and nothing's happening, but God's heard them. And it wasn't what they expected, but God was listening. And more than that, he was going to do something. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the terrible... 
Ephra while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with, with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord, Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And then he said to them, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So here is a man who the angel of the Lord has now appeared to. The angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnate Jesus, God himself, okay, appeared to him. But Gideon's response wasn't one of faith, but one of fear. Not one of holy fear either. Actually, it was cowardice type of fear. Uh, that fear that was fed by doubt. A fear that immediately begins to blame others. Look at his response. If you are with us, why are you allowing all this bad stuff to happen? Okay? Now, we're not just looking at a story here. We want to apply that to our lives. So I just want you to just ponder that for a minute. That phrase. If you are with us, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? God, if you're there... If you're a God of love and mercy and grace, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? And Gideon forgot that all that was happening was not because God was making it happen, but because his family and the people of Israel had disobeyed God. You know, God offers us a choice. He always offers us a choice, and he even tells us which choice to take. But, of, because of free will, it's still your choice. So it's your choice to choose. He's telling you which is the right choice, but you still get to choose. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, this is what he said to the people of Israel. I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And so God had offered the people of Israel an opportunity to choose life, which involved doing things his way. But that they chose of their own free will to do it their way. And so the consequence of their choice, the consequence of them applying their own rationale and deciding what was best, was the oppression by the Midianites. God did not bring the Midianites to punish them for choosing what he didn't ask them to choose. It was simply a consequence, the outworking of the choice that they made. You see, it wasn't what God would have chosen because he told them to choose something else. Yet they didn't choose what God told them to, to do. And so now for that their consequences, they're now blaming God for them. It's not a good strategy. It's not good, in my opinion, but we all do it. How many times have we cried out to God, get me out of this mess? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? But I hate to break it to you, but often the things that are happening to us are not because God is making them happen, but because they're a consequence of the ongoing choices that you've made. I'm sorry just to say it how it is, but that is the truth. And sometimes we find ourselves crying out to God in the wrong way. You see, Gideon was crying out, God, why have you done this to me? Instead of crying out, God, forgive me for making the choices I've made and finding me in the situation that I'm in. And I think we need to sometimes just consider that. Because once we recognise where we are and acknowledge why we're there, then there's an opportunity for grace to come and get us out of the situation that we're in. But as long as we keep blaming God for the situation we're in, when we've made choices to get us there, then I think we're always going to struggle. Now don't get me wrong, sometimes other people make choices 
and it affects us. And I'm not saying it's the case in every case, but often we find ourselves in situations of our own making. And sometimes I think we need to stop blaming God for it and start repenting of it. And then he'll come and he'll break in. So Gideon tried to blame God. And, and look what God said. He said, when our mind tried it, he said, and the Lord turned to him and said, well, go on then. You know best. You've made the choices. You, you know what you're doing. Go ahead in your strength then. You go and rescue the people from the Midianites. He sort of played the card back at him. And he said, well, look how well it's worked out for you so far. Why don't you keep trying that? Have I not sent you? He's saying that there's an opportunity for this situation to change. And again, as we see the response, there's no evidence of faith like Hebrews 11 verse 1. The angel of the Lord calls him a mighty man of valour and tells him that he's with him. And, and, and his response is just excuses. How can I save Israel? I'm the weakest in my family. I'm nobody. Our family is nothing. We're at the bottom of the pile. Even the tribe we're in is the weakest tribe within our group of churches or however you want to kind of sort of personalise this for us today. It was just excuses but the Lord says to him in verse 16, but I will be with you and, and you shall strike the Midianites down as one man. I will, be, I will be with you. And so his response, even after that, is still not faith. Many of us know the story. He goes off to prepare his food. He's still doubting. And then he does the old fleece thing. You know, wet fleece, dry ground, dry ground, wet fleece. Keeps doing it, the whole thing. You know, we, we like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's put out a fleece. No, no, no. That fleece <laughs> was a response of his inability to believe God. You know, every time you are, oh, I'm going to lay out a fleece like Gideon. All right, so you're just full of unbelief as well, are you? <laughs> It's, it's God spoken, and so I'm just full of doubt, I'm full of fear, I'm full of cowardice. There's no faith, like Hebrews 11 says. But eventually, eventually, Gideon believes the angel of the Lord. Um, and, but even then, even in his belief, there's still no faith. Not like Hebrews 11 verse 1 defines it anyway. God tells him to destroy the idols in Israel. And so in this great faith that he has, he sneaks out with a couple of mates in the dark. Okay, does what he's got to do and then hopes no one will notice. And even if they do, hopes that no one will know it was him. So we're still not anywhere near our Hebrews 11 verse 1 type of faith. And even when he does get some measure of courage that God will destroy the Midianite army, where's the faith even at that point? Because what does he do? He goes back to what he thinks is best. Having determined already that what they thought was best has got them into the mess they're in, even when he starts to get a little bit of measure of courage, or maybe God is with us after all, he then reverts back to doing it the way he thinks best. Let's get the biggest flipping army we can get. Let's get everybody to go. He starts to build up a resource that he thinks will be the right resource. And so he gathers thousands of men, 32,000 to be exact. And then in Judges 7, God brings Gideon back in line with his plan. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever's fearful and trembling, let him return home. Hurry away from Mount Gilead. And then 22,000, 22,000 left out of the 32,000 that he got. Could you talk about a fix-me-upper? You know, it's kind of like, okay, we're going. We're going to get there. My, my buddies are with me. And then 22,000 leave. You know, Ed, I'm off. See you later. You know, it's a, it's a nightmare because Gideon believed that that was the resource that he needed to get the job done. But God had different ideas. And so we still see no faith, none in God at least. He, he was putting his faith in his own wisdom and his own strength and his own plan. And what he forgot 
was that what God orders, he pays for. With God's vision comes God's provision. And he, he forgot that. He forgot. And we're so good at trying to work God's plan out for our lives our way. So we manage to get to a place of belief where we think, okay, maybe that is what God's saying. Yet what we do is we then go back and try and apply our own logic. We try and manoeuvre. We try and, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, approach the situation so we can bring about what we've got some measure of belief for that, that, that God will do rather than find the faith to just let God bring it about his way. And just in this moment, I can sense a real lot of Holy Spirit, and I just feel at least someone here is resonating with that. You're just in that place, you're thinking, do you know what? I do believe that God's spoken to me, but actually, I've been working so hard to try and make what God said happen. Does that <coughs> resonate with anybody? Just give me a wave if that's you. Okay, at least one. Can you be brave enough to stand where you are? Because I'll pray for you if you do. Wonderful. Anyone else? Just that sense of, I'm trying to, I can see that I'm just trying to make what God's said to me kind of happen my own way rather than resting. Going once. Well done. Well done. This is a really safe place here. You're with your family. And we just get to be honest. Well done. If, if you're near one of these people, would you just go and get your hands on them? We believe in the priesthood of all believers, right? No one's got more of the Holy Spirit than anyone else. It doesn't matter if church gets a bit messy. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you are sovereign. Yes. But I thank you too, Lord God, you choose to partner with us. I thank you, Father, that nothing is too difficult to you, but I thank you too, Lord, you, you cause us to partner with you in all that you've called us to. And so, Father, I thank you for these three that have stood and acknowledge, Lord God, that they, they have heard you speak. But, Father, they acknowledge too that maybe they are trying to apply their wisdom and their understanding of what the outcome might look like or what the solution might be, rather than to listen to your voice and implement what you're saying. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, maybe as, as resources seem to be getting less and less rather than more and more, that they find courage, that you are at work, just like we read and will read as we read on in, in Judges about Gideon. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you bring about all things to work for your glory and for your purposes. And so, Father, we stand with our brother and our sisters, oh Lord God, and we say, Lord, would you do to them and with them as you have said, but according to your will and your plan and your purposes. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Brilliant. Well, there'll be an opportunity to get more prayer um, for you three if you'd like it when we minister at the end. But I just felt there was a moment in God right there. So Gideon's army goes from 32,000 to 10 overnight. And then just when Gideon thought things couldn't get any worse, God does it again. Verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Anyone to, uh, uh, to whom I say to you, this one shall go, shall go. And anyone who says they'll, they'll stay, then they'll stay. And basically he does the whole kind of, how do they drink out of the stream? Do they lap it, stick their face in it and drink it? Or do they cup it up to their face with their hands? And God thins them out. And Gideon is now left with 300 men. Now, we read this story so easily and readily, but 32,000 men was what Gideon believed he needed to get the job done. And God has left him with less than 1% of what he thought he needed. Okay, so I'm just putting it out there, okay, that God's ways are not our ways. And what we think we need, we don't need. Um, God left him with less than 1% of what, 
of what he needed. God wanted to build faith into Gideon so that he would not just in, uh, trust in just power and might, but in God himself. He would trust in him. And the whole purpose of thinning out the army was so that at no point did anyone believe that by their own strength, their own wisdom, their own street smarts, that they got to where they were. It was only because of God. And sometimes that's why we find ourselves in these precarious situations, because actually we need to be in a place as we look back that we can see, but God. But God. Otherwise it's just, you know, weren't we lucky? We need those moments to look back. But even then, (laughs) there still doesn't seem to be a lot of faith. So Gideon's now got his 300 men. He's on the edge of the army of the Midianites. They're all down there, you know, and he sends a spy. And it's not until the spy comes back that we even see an inkling of a bit of belief. And in Judges 7, 15 to 18, we begin to see a story unfolding a little bit. And as soon as Gideon, verse 15, heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, so he sent a spy down into the camp and the spy overhears one of the Midianites telling his mates about a dream. Um, And basically it was that they're going to get whooped. We're going to get whooped in the morning. It's a good dream for the enemy to have, that one. Um, And uh, we picked that up. So as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And there we start to see a little bit of faith beginning beginning to rise. Um, And then he divided the 300 men into three companies, put trumpets into the hands of all of them, empty jars, torches inside of them. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place, verse 21, around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord sent every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled. Brilliant story. And we all love that story. Um, And we we know that the the story ends with Gideon. He wins a mighty victory. Uh, And we know it because we've already read it in Hebrews 11 as well, that Gideon... As, as a result of all of this, as reco- is recorded as a hero of faith. A mighty man of faith. Which is a bit unfair, if we're honest. But you see, the thing is, it seems to me that as we look at that story, his faith is only recognisable as you look back at it. See, as we've been looking at this story, we've been trying to see his faith as he looks ahead. Which, when we think about faith, is normally how we think about faith. We think about faith as the assurance of things hoped for and not yet seen. So when we think about faith, we always think about faith as something that's not yet happened. We apply faith to what's not yet happened. But actually, what we're looking at here, as we we look at what's going on, this faith only seems recognisable through his obedience as we look back at it. And so, if you're taking notes, the title of my sermon today is Faith is Obedience in the Rearview Mirror. Because as I look at this story of Gideon, I can't see any evidence of faith as he looked forward to what God was saying. But having seen the story, and we look back at his obedience, we see that it's recorded as faith. How is that? How is that even possible? He was obedient even though he had no faith. And I think there's a lesson for us. He just kept doing what God told him to do even though he was scared, even though it seemed impossible, even though his human resources were getting less and less. He just kept going. Every day, choosing to do what God had said, even though he could see no way. 
And so we need to look at the story of Gideon slightly differently because you're thinking against all the odds and with no faith, he just kept saying yes. He just kept saying yes. And then as you look at the story, you see that panning out. Every day choosing to say yes, even when what lay ahead seemed fraught with danger, even when it seemed futile or even foolish, he just kept saying yes to God. Even though he was scared, even though it was impossible, he just kept saying yes, even though he had no faith in the sense of Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and not yet seen. He had none of that. He had no assurance. He had no certainty. But he just kept saying yes to God. It's a change in our perspective. That's been the prophetic message coming through today, is that we need to change our perspective of God, and I think sometimes we have to change our perspective of faith. Now, all the things you've learned about faith are true. So I'm not trying to change that. I'm just trying to add to it the sense of it's not always that assurance of things hoped for and certainty of things not yet seen. Sometimes it, it is only evident as faith as you look back, having day after day keep saying yes to God and being obedient. And so coming back to my story that I told you at the beginning and the video that I showed you of those testimonies, if you remember, I said it's probably easy for you to look at that video and make some kind of assessment about me. You'll look at that video and you think, man, Andy, Nick, you are amazing, faith-filled men. Look at all those healings. Look at everything. You know, God spoke a prophetic word and boom, you were off. Let me tell you what actually happened, if you'd like. Okay, good. All right. I mean, I'm happy to move on. So, so what happened actually was we were both given the prophetic words separately. Um, and there were some people that sort of recognized the, the similarity in the crossover. So it was kind of out there. It wasn't kind of hidden. And we were on the plane sort of talking about anything and everything else. And uh, it kind of came up. So what about those prophetic words then? And then, you know, we have the choice. You could do what every, every good pastor who's fearful about a prophetic word uh, does, um, and then just say, well, in the sovereignty of God, if what will be, will be. True, happens. Well, you know, we'll find out if they're a true prophet. Because if it doesn't happen, we can stone them. That's how you tell a true prophet, right? It comes to pass. Is that true? Now you're all unsure, aren't you? Because you're not sure where I'm going to go with it. The reality is, is, it isn't how you can tell a true prophet. Because when God prophesies, speaks to us today, it's very different to the Old Testament. Because we all have the measure of the Spirit in us. And so actually, we're called to partner with God's prophetic word. And so if it doesn't come to pass, quite often it's because we've chosen not to partner with it. And so we're in this situation on the plane. You know, we've got these two separate prophetic words that are identical. You're going to see eyes healed, ears open. What are we going to do? And I said, I said to Nick, have you got any faith for this? And he went, no. <laughs> so he said, how about you? I went, no, none. So what are we going to do? So we could just wait for the old, you know, case sarah, sarah, let's see what will be, will be. Or I said, well, why don't we just at least make some effort? <laughs> and honestly, this is true. This, Nick will tell you this is exactly the conversation happened on the plane. Why don't we, every time we get up to speak, at least tell the story? At least tell the story that we had two prophetic words that we were going to see eyes opened and uh, or eyes healed and ears opened. So, so he said, all right, we'll make the deal. So that's what we'll do. So you saw uh, a guy called Patrick, who's the headmaster of the school, the Scottish guy, saying that he went to a men's conference on the video. You know, and he said, the last thing on my mind was 
was getting my eyes healed. <laughs> Just to put that into perspective, the last thing on my mind that was going to happen was his eyes were going to get healed. No one was more surprised than Nick and I. Even though we told the story, this guy came forward for prayer, we both kind of thought, whatever, you know, laid our hands on him, no, no faith at all, we're just like, whatever, you know, and then boom, he could suddenly see more than he could see before, and, and, and he's, guys, I can see that sign behind you, and we're like both looking at each other going, what? <laughs> and he said, what, really? And he went, yeah, really? I thought, oh, okay. So you'd think, wouldn't you, after that, he's testified, we videoed it, we got it, it's great, that when we went into our next meeting, we would be full of faith, ready to go. Not so. So we're like thinking, you know, maybe we should just call it a day. You know, we're, we're one for one right now. <laughs> this is great. You know? um, but we made a, a, a promise to each other and to God that we tell the story. So we told the story and more people came forward. And that was where um, you couldn't really see it on the video too much because and, and, uh, of the translation. But literally this lady's ear went and just popped open wow. and she could hear. I mean, you see, when you watch the video again, you'll see it. She goes like that, and she's describing her ear popping open. Um, and then we started to get a little bit more kind of with it. So we weren't seeing blind eyes open, but like eye problems healed. So we were getting Bibles and saying, can you read that? No, can't read it. And then we're praying, and then we're going, can you read it now? And then they'd, they'd read it out. And, and in a way, you kind of feel like at some point, you start to get filled with a measure of faith. But if I'm honest, I never really did. It was always because it's such a big deal. You're thinking, wow, this is like ears opening. Like, I mean, what? I don't know. But there's that sense of just being obedient. Mm. And, and as, we, as, we, as we, just, we just kept telling the story. Um, and as I say, I, I, I want to tell you that I'm a mighty man of faith and full of it and I'm amazing. Well, I'm full of it, but something else probably. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it's just the truth. Because you're looking at that story from now. So you're seeing me now. You're hearing the prophetic word that was given. And you're seeing a video full of testimonies. And you're ascribing Hebrews 11 faith to me. But actually it wasn't Hebrews 11 faith. It was Hebrews 32 faith. It was just obedience. Just keep saying yes to God. And then God doing something. But what happens then is history then records my obedience as faith. And so this is where you can, you know, people say, oh, you just hype things up, Andy. You hype them. And you think, no, I'm not hyping them up. Actually, you hype things up because you ascribe something to me that wasn't actually the case. Because you're looking back at something and ascribing faith to it. But the reality was it was just obedience. It was just saying yes to God, even when I had no real, I had some hope, there was no assurance or confidence. You know, you hope often when you pray for sick people that they're healed. You know, there are occasions, and I have had it, where I just know there's a gift of faith comes in a moment, and you just know, and I've seen that once or twice. But often when we pray, and I'm just being honest. I'm not always praying with faith. I'm praying with some hope. Because God said, if you lay hands on the sick, they'll be healed. And so we have a choice. We can sit and wait for faith to come, which would very much limit the number of people we pray for, or we can be obedient. And then what happens is when people get healed, no one's more surprised than them or you. But then what happens is when you tell the story... Your obedience looks like faith. But you just have to remember the Father's just wanting to change our perspective a little bit today. And I've been so encouraged by kind of what's come through as we've been, been worshipping and what I had to, to share. But I think it's really important. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I want that Hebrews 11 one kind of faith. But most often I'm working with a Hebrews 1.32 faith which is where it says Gideon was a mighty man of faith, although you can find very little evidence of it in the moment. But his obedience was ascribed to him as faith. And that's the kind of people I want us to be. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and not yet seen. But sometimes it only looks like that when you look back on it. It's a change of our perspective. And so I want to encourage you as a church, I want to encourage you as individuals, is keep saying yes to God. Even when your resources seem to be going in the opposite direction to the direction you think God is taking you. Even when you think we're going to need X amount of money to do this project and the money seems to be going down rather than up. Even when you think we're going to need this many volunteers to do it and the number of volunteers is going down or up. Actually, just keep saying yes to God. We need to partner with him in obedience. And that's because that obedient type of faith, it is. It's obedience, it's faith in the rearview mirror when you look back. So uh, I know Joe's got something to share. I'd love to pray for you. I wonder if we could just stand. What time am I supposed to be off? Whenever. Oh, it's great. Okay. I have another sermon. I really feel the... No. Why don't we just stand together? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to commit ourselves again to you. Jesus, we, we give ourselves to you and the mission that you've called us to. Father, forgive us when we have not been obedient. Forgive us when we've given in to fear. Forgive us, Lord God, when we have chosen not even to partner with your prophetic words, but instead sit back and wait for you to do the things that you've expected us to do and to partner with you. Forgive us when we've behaved like that. But Father, I pray, Lord God, that, that there would be days, there would be situations where we are people that are full of the assurance of things hoped for and not yet seen, confident of what is yet to come. Lord, I pray we will be people like that. But Father, I pray too, in the monotony of everyday life, in the reality of the lives we live, I pray that you would teach us to be people that keep saying yes to you. That keep saying yes, even when we don't feel it. We keep saying yes, even when we don't feel like we have faith for it. We keep saying yes, even when our resources and even when everything around us seems to be suggesting something else. And we're full of fear, we're scared and we're uncertain. I pray, Lord God, would you still cause us to be a people of obedient yeses where we'll just say, you've said go, we're going. And even when our armies go from 32,000 to 22,000 to 300, we keep saying yes. Because you are good. And we know, Lord, that one day, as we look upon those stories, that obedience in history will be accredited to us as faith. Thank you, Father, that you have put mighty men and women of courage and of valour in this room. Lord, that you declare that over people in this room, just as you did Gideon, that they are mighty men of valour, mighty women of valour. I just feel God just touching on that right now. There are people that, that just feel, I feel anything but a hero right now. If that's you, just pop your hand up. You're just thinking, do you know what? I, I, feel the, I feel the opposite of, of a hero. I feel like the weakest person in my family. I feel like the, the least person in this church. I feel like the just, just, I feel everything other than a hero right now. If, you, if you're feeling that, just pop your hand up where you are. Well done. I know that's a brave thing to do. Get it right up in the air just so I can pray. Everybody else is just keeping looking at me. I have your eyes closed. Thank you. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for <laughs> the, the joy of family. Lord, I thank you that we are family here today, that this is a safe place that we can be honest. And Father, I thank you for those four or five people that have put their hand up and just said, you know what, <laughs> I do feel a bit like Gideon, but not, not the good part. I feel like I am the least in my family. Our family is the smallest in our tribe. Our tribe is the weakest in, in the nation. Yet, Father, you called them mighty men and women of valour. Thank you, Lord, that if we partner with you, if we keep saying yes to you, then there is nothing that will stop 
your plans and purposes. So we speak that now, particularly over those that have raised their hands, but over the church, Lord God, that nothing will thwart, Lord God, the promises over this church, that nothing will hinder all the plans that you have for them, Lord God, and for this city. That, Father, their obedient yeses will be sufficient to see all that you have planned come to pass. We declare this over them. Lord, I ask you to bless them and keep them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Joe, do you want to come up and share? Thanks, Andy. That was stirring, wasn't it? Um, I just, I'm just stepping out in a little bit of courage because I felt like God spoke to me last night in a different kind of a way. So I'm trying to um, work through it to bring what he wants to say to you this morning as a church and uh, as individuals as well. And I woke up with a, a start and uh, I felt a bit anxious actually at that point. I just had a bit of an anxiety thing going on, which you might be familiar with. But at that moment, I remembered something that had happened another, uh, another day and uh, was with a guy who moves in incredible um, revelation. And he'd said, if you wake in the night, ask God what he wants to say to you. So I kind of transitioned from my feelings of anxiety uh, and said, God, what are you saying? And I immediately remembered something that Graham and I had said on on um, Friday night, uh, just when everything was being spoken about and you, some of you were experiencing maybe the, the river in flood and just all that's been going on in this area and north of here, um, which is not something that I say God has sent to cause trouble at all. I'm not saying that. But sometimes when something's happening in the natural, there's something happening in the supernatural. And I I just f had that scripture in my head that said, when the, uh, the river is in flood, flood in the time of harvest. And I immediately felt like God was bringing you as a church into time of, a time of harvest. That the river may naturally have been in flood, but I just kind of feel that spiritually there's a flood of God's presence around you. Uh, you may not see it, you may not feel it, just as Andy was saying, but there's, there's something that God wants to do in terms of, of a harvest in this city and in this area. Um, and there was a point last night where Paul didn't literally do this. I, it, was, it just kind of happened in a semi-dream thing where it seemed like Paul turned to me and said that tomorrow people are going to come to know Jesus. And actually it was already tomorrow because it was like two o'clock in the morning. So I didn't know whether that was right now, but I kind of had a sense from God that the tomorrow was about a season of, of people coming to know Jesus. So I just want to release that over you as a church, um, that the river, the river in this area has been in flood in the natural, um, but actually there's a spiritual flood of, of harvest that's coming to you. And with it, um, I had a number of just part dreams. I can only describe it as as I would kind of drop off to sleep and kind of wake up and hear, hear something. And I was like, oh, is that you, God? Is that my head? Is that just me thinking things? Um, and there was a point where um, I really sense God speaking over you as a church too, that he's called you as a church to father and mother this city. Um, and I know, and uh, not prophetically, because I was discussing with again with Graham and Sarah just some of the things that you're doing as a church, and that's already happening. That there are things that you're doing together um, that are fathering and mothering this community. But I really felt like God said that there's more for you, um, and to ask Him, ask the Holy Spirit, what does it look like? for us to be fathers and mothers in our community. And that doesn't matter if you're not literally a father or a mother. That's as a people of God, he's calling you together. What does that look like for you to do that together? What does it look like for you to do that as an individual in your community, to be that father in your community and to be that mother? 
And there were just a few things out of that God was speaking about in terms of bringing wisdom and experience to your city and your community in ways that God would open doors and connections. There was encouragement, just bringing a huge sense of encouragement to people around you. There's love and compassion that mothers and fathers bring. There's, uh, they always, as moms and dads, we always believe the best in situations, don't we? And we see the best in our children. And I felt like God was saying to this church, I want you to see the best in your city. I don't want you to just look as a change of perspective again. Look and see the best. Don't be those who grumble along with everybody else about what's not happening in this city. Ask God how you can add to that. Just like the, the smile thing that happens out of this church. There are many more things like that that God is, is raising you up to be part of. And mothers and fathers carry authority. And I felt like you as a people are called to carry kingdom authority. To, to pray with authority in your city. To declare that authority out into this city. And mothers and fathers protect and they defend. And I, I really felt like God saying, protect the city. Kind of fight in the spirit for this city and the good of this city and for the gospel to go out and change people's lives. And mothers and fathers, they carry and they release inheritance. And I just felt like God say to you, realize the inheritance that you carry as kingdom carriers in this place. That what you speak into being and what you see and understand that God is calling you to do, there's, there's an inheritance for the people of this city in these things. There's, there's an inheritance of people receiving the gospel and uh, changing and being transformed. And it's just, a, a, just ask the question. I really felt God's heart say, ask the question, what does it look like for me to be those things in in uh, in the in Derby and in the towns and the villages around this place, wherever you're from, that you are a mother and a father to the people around you. And then then uh, last night there was there was something kind of a bit extra that happened, and so I'm going to go the extra ten percent here and be a bit specific um, about uh, an in, an individual. I had a point where. I felt the name James was shouted uh, in my ear. So is there anybody who's called James or it's your first name, it's your second name, it's, I don't know, anybody called James? <laughs> Can you stand up? I had completely forgotten that you were called James, by the way. I had literally, because what happened in the dream was there were a group of people um, often we don't need to say what happens in dreams, but I feel it's important for you in this, where I heard it was a group of people shouting your name uh, with celebration, and I felt the celebration of heaven over you. There's like heaven celebrating over you, James. Uh, and that is really, I felt like it's really important for you to know at this particular point that that there is a celebration over who you are, what, what, who you are, and, and what you do. Not just over what you do, but who you are. The person that God has made you to be. But there were some other um, little bits there. Because I saw it, a man come out from behind a desk. Um, and I heard the phrase, captain in industry. And I felt that there's something about your workplace that um, God wants to speak to you about in terms of influence and um, you coming out from a hidden place, you coming out, almost coming out from a hidden place behind your desk and being recognized and being, being known. And that takes courage because there are things that God may show you that uh, for your workplace where God wants you to speak out. He wants you to bring um, strategy. He wants you to bring ideas. He wants you to have the confidence to say, no, this is the way I see it. This is what needs to happen. And I feel like God has kept you um, in, in that place that it, he's protected you in your workplace. And there have been times maybe where you felt like, oh, I'm going to look for another job. I'm going to, I just need to 
move on from here. But I feel like God has said, no, James, I've called you to be there because I'm going to reveal my plans and purposes for you in that place and that you are going to have a kingdom influence um, in the workplace. And things that you say uh, are going to be really important for the future. And I also felt, too, that in, in the coming out from behind the desk, that that um, there's something that God will do that you will be able to encourage other people in their workplaces how to step out, how to go um, and take steps of courage to really bring the kingdom in that situation. And I also felt like in the wider church, this whole thing about the celebration over James, that that um, there's something that God's calling you to do to support people who are out there in their workplaces. That they're, like the celebration and the shout over James, I felt was a representation. Don't forget um, people involved in maybe frontline stuff in the workplace, that they are carrying the kingdom. Many of you in this room are carrying the kingdom in different ways in your workplace. Don't be afraid to get people around you to actually say, this is tough. I need you to pray. I've got an important decision to make. Uh, so I just wonder if we could, is it okay if we just pray for James? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. That's it then. Thank you. Sunday morning.